It's like I just went on vacation. I remember anything after two weeks, but then I kind of <laughs> pop up this gigantic mind map. I zoom into it, and I was like, okay, this was the file that I needed. This is the data, and then you know you, you get into it, and you just feel you're much quicker at doing things. You're much quicker at finding information, and people will also comment on that. So my supervisor, mm-hmm. like, oh my god, it's so organized. I've never seen anything <laughs> like that. So, it's no rocket science, you know. Just just make notes mm-hmm. and think them. Welcome to the 73rd episode of the Struggling Scientist podcast. We are a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anybody science adjacent, and perhaps even hobbyists. My name is Susanna, and I'm here with my co-host, Jaron. Hi. As an academic, there are so many things you learn and want to remember. But keeping track of all of it and managing your acquired knowledge isn't easy. This is where a personal knowledge management system comes in. Or, in our case, an academic knowledge management system. But what does that look like? And how do you get started with it? Today, we're talking with our expert guest, Ilya Shabanov, who since starting his academic journey has developed his academic knowledge management system, written over 300,000 words in it, and uses it to find connections in research he would otherwise have missed. Now he's sharing advice to help academics and researchers build their own academic knowledge management system and make their lives a little bit easier. So let's start. Welcome, Ilya. It's so nice to have you on our podcast today. Hello. Yes. Thank you so much for, for having me. I'm uh, actually very much indebted to you guys. You've uh, helped me a lot in the past with my Twitter by retweeting things and having me as a guest uh, author on your blog. So I learned a lot by doing this and also it gave, gave me a lot of traction. So thank you in so many ways. Of course. Of course. So yeah, speaking of Twitter, actually, you've actually been killing it quite a bit on Twitter with all your advice on both note taking and uh, academic knowledge management, uh, especially for you know, academics. And we thought you would be the perfect well, guest, an expert to have on this topic uh, today. But before we get started talking about the details of academic knowledge management, uh, we would love to know a, lo- a little bit more about you. Could you maybe introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, who are you? Uh, what is your scientific background and any interesting hobbies? Uh, yeah, gladly. So this is usually the question that takes up most of the time because <laughs> I had like everything uh, in my life. Um, I always, uh, so, yes, my name is Ilya Shabanov. I'm doing a PhD in uh, computational conservation ecology, maybe you could mm. call it like this. And uh, I have, my background is computer science, but I've also done some molecular biology and many other things. But uh, just to kind of give an idea why, why am I doing things is because um, you know, most people, they, they try to go in depth. That's the, the general advice. Do something really, really um, in depth. But I always try to do things in breadth. So always mm-hmm. try to explore different things. So after I had my computer science degree, I, I started a business and did the mm-hmm. Neuronation. It's, it's a brain training app. Then I didn't want to do this anymore. I went to an ashram and lived in India with, uh, and learned yoga and meditation and Eastern mm-hmm. philosophy. And I finished that, started my web design business and traveled the world as a digital nomad, um, ended up homesteading in Arizona, in the Sonoran Desert, completely failed. That was the COVID times. And then I decided, okay, I want to do something with academia. And I was 36 at this time. So it's, uh, it's, it's a, the hobby, if anything, is constant change, <laughs> constant reinventing and, and kind of playing with my own mind. And the, the symbolism behind it is always the symbol of a pirate. And so the pirate is the, the freest of all uh, individuals. And in the Pirates of the Caribbean, he always has this compass that points towards his greatest desire, not north mm-hmm. or south. So I, I try to live my life that way that I always try to go towards where my desire takes me. And so that's also how I ended up in academia, by simply um, 
by simply saying, okay, I, I tried all the engineering ways. I tried to, to be more of an artist and, but the academic mm -hmm. is kind of somewhere in between. Um, and that's, and I want to try this. So then finally I decided, okay, I'll go into academia. And that mm -hmm. meant that I just volunteered instead of doing bachelor or masters or anything, because I started doing uh, biology and I had absolutely no background in biology and mm -hmm. was molecular biology. I was just uh, lucky enough to find somebody who would be interested in, in tutoring me a little bit. So there's a professor in, in Arizona also in uh, the university of Arizona, Ross Buckman. And so he just, um, said, okay, cool, you know, you know nothing and uh, maybe you can do something cool. And uh, he would teach me molecular biology, gave me this big book uh, about mm -hmm. it. And uh, yeah, I learned a lot of yeast stuff and uh, published a paper just six months later. Uh, mm -hmm. It was more of a methods paper. So it was a lot of coding, uh, which was good, you know, because that, that's something that I already knew how to do. And uh, we just added the microscopy and kind of the, the problems from uh, molecular biology that opened the doors to all kinds of PhDs. Um, or PhD programs. And uh, yeah, um, unfortunately, I didn't get my uh, US visa in time. So I couldn't go to the US where I had uh, three offers mm -hmm. from three universities to do molecular biology. So instead, I ended up in New Zealand uh, doing ecology. And yeah, it's uh, now what I'm doing and kind of trying mm -hmm. to understand what are the main uh, shifts of forests uh, and during climate change. So where, where do they go? Do they go uphill, downhill, um, further south, further north? And why is this happening and can we actually predict that so it's a oh. fairly fairly complicated cool. big data topic hmm. cool oh interesting yeah quite a journey <laughs> i think it is the first time i heard like phd and piracy and freedom in the same <laughs> in the same context that was interesting <laughs> If you love the idea of building an academic knowledge system, but are, like me, not really looking forward to writing short summaries of the papers you want to save and keeping all of the information nicely stored together, our sponsor, SciSummary, can really help you out. SciSummary is an amazing AI tool that not only helps you summarize academic papers in your favorite structure, it also adds the most important figures out of the paper directly to your summary and finds the keywords in the paper automatically, meaning you really have all the inf important information at a glance. After the AI does a job, you have full editing potential and can ask it to focus more on the areas you want to save, making it the perfect summary for in your academic knowledge management system. Size Summary has a free version for you to play around with, so try it out and test if it works for you. And if you love it as much as we do, you can get the pro version the first month for just $1 with the code FIRSTMONTH in all caps. You can find it via the strugglingscientist.com slash SciSummary or via the link in the description. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. Okay, so let's start with some of the important definitions. What is a personal knowledge management system? Or in the context of academia, what is an academic knowledge management system? And why is it important? Yeah, so for me, I would say it's actually an evolution that doesn't start at, at personal knowledge management. It starts at just note-taking. And in German, we have this word mitschreiben, which just literally translates to writing with. And intense, like some flow of information, like a lecture, movie, uh, presentation, something like that. That's that's what you what you start as, what you learn at school. You just make your notes, and usually those notes kind of just pile up. My analogy is, uh, you know, you have a shed in the backyard. You put all your shit in there. Yeah. So eventually, it kind of piles up, and eventually, you don't know what is in there. So that's what happens with, with general notes. Uh, you know, I used Evernote back in the day and I have hundreds and hundreds of notes. I don't know what's in there, but sometimes I find uh, little gems. So then you realize, hey, actually, it would be nice to do something with that stuff and not have it uh, like just all messy in there. 
to have an overview what I have. So this is more personal knowledge management system where you start organizing things, labeling things, and uh, trying to to add a little bit of structure on top. So you bring all that shit from from the shed into your house, and you start labeling drawers and so on. So you know more of uh, what you actually have. So your kind of known unknowns grow a little bit uh, more. And then from there, you can actually say, okay, let's, instead of just storing that stuff, let's build something with it. So let's create an argument with all this knowledge. Let's create coherent thought. Um, so PKM does it, like personal knowledge management does it to an extent, but in academic knowledge management, this is the main goal. It's the synthesis of information. So when I do my webinars and ask people, what is your main problem? Uh, over 80% say it's, it's synthesis of information because there's just too much information to put in the brain and let the subconscious mind synthesize it. So you have to offload it. You have to have this external hard drive with all your information, but you need a structure and a system to access it efficiently. Like this USB port between your um, uh, hard drive and your computer, that's what you want to establish. So that is the system. And uh, this is can be can have many, many different ways. But essentially, uh, it has three main challenges. So one is always keeping track of your sources. And so it's just that you can't say anything in your paper that does not have a source. So in personal knowledge management, this is kind of irrelevant. You know, I heard the quote, whether it's Oscar Wilde or somebody else, like, I don't really care. There's like something written there, but I, I won't have any negative effects usually if I misquote it somehow. Oops, I made a mistake. Academia, it's, it's, a, it's a hard pass if you do this. So then the, the other option is this massive scale. The PKM is personal, so people do it more as a hobby maybe. But if you do it eight hours a day for you know twelve months in a year, then obviously you accumulate much much more knowledge than you would uh, in, in a personal setting. So that that also poses a big um, limitation on how you manage your informations. And then the last thing for me is at least to to integrate some sort of media into it, so PDFs, annotations, like all that stuff that is important. It's usually not so present in, in PKMs. Um, yeah, but. Um, yeah, so, and yeah, maybe one last thing is uh, the management, the knowledge management part, which also becomes project management, because you I have an idea in academia, okay, I want to achieve this, I want to answer this research question, uh, let's, how do I accomplish it? The business advice is usually, you know, br break down your task and then do it. The problem with academia is that 90% of the tasks lead to absolutely nowhere. Like, <laughs> you do it for absolutely nothing, and you just waste your time. And so you kind of get frustrated with organizing everything and creating tasks and so on. So you just, just let it be. But in academia, you actually have to, to keep track of also what didn't work and why it didn't work. Um, that's, yeah, that's a part of project management you usually don't hear in uh, business publications. You know, how do you scrum and mm -hmm. agile development and so on? So you, you don't do this. So yeah, it's, it's quite a kind of, I feel it's, it's an evolution from PKM, but not necessarily that it's better. It just serves a little bit of a different person. It's PCH. Hmm. Okay. Fair. Um, but I also think like, so for a lot of our audience who is, and also just a lot of academics in general who may hear this and think of it maybe more of as a fancier version of note taking. I know a lot of academics who they take, they scribble down some notes in their journals or, or their books uh, at a conference, for example, but then sort of completely forget about it. The moment the conference is uh, gone, they never check it ever again. Um, and sort of have more of an approach of like, if it's important, it'll just pop up again, or they'll find it or if they need it or something like that, sort of more of a, yeah, it'll come back to me if it's really important. Um, 
Is that one way that like thinking about note taking and sort of academic knowledge management would be different? That like you have there's more of a clear thought sort of you're approaching it more as an architect, like building your system that you can synthesize something versus note taking, or is it are there more differences as well? So I'll give you an analogy for that. So imagine you are standing here and uh, there's there's a sea around you. You see the horizon. So mm. certain things are really close to you. You know that you know them. Certain things are really far on the horizon. You see there is something there, but you can't really know what it is. So it's something that's unknown, but you know that it's there. And then mm. there is this vast information behind the horizon. So now if you are static, if you're standing, the information behind the horizon will always be uh, stay behind the horizon. You can't really access it. Uh, and so if in terms of knowledge, if you want to access these unknown unknowns, you have to start moving. Mm. So... And to start moving, you need to connect your notes somehow because you move, you jump from note to note. And so you have to create a system of uh, bridges, so to speak, so that you can start moving around in your uh, you know, space so that you see behind the horizon. When you take notes, those notes are essentially disconnected. They're connected in your head, but if you don't know the note is there, there's no connection anymore. Uh, same with notebooks. It's really hard to, to connect physical notes. The only person that actually did this was uh, Nicholas Luhmann with his famous uh, Zettelkasten or Slipbox uh, thing where he would put little indices like 1C, 4BF, and that would mean that uh, he has to go to another box, throw it out, pull out the little card, and then have uh, some sort of information that links to this one. It was very, very complicated. He had a whole cupboard filled with these things, 90,000 notes. Very cryptic also when you look at them. Um, so yeah, so, so uh, the academic or any sort of really knowledge management system needs to have a way to move around your notes, navigate around your notes. And if you, if you don't have that, then you don't really have a system, you have a pile. Right? And uh, the, the more sophisticated the system gets, uh, the, the kind of the more possibilities you have to navigate. So in Obsidian, there's no taking software that I'm using. You know, you can use just links just on the internet. You know that taking a link gets you to a new website, but you can also look at graphs. So you can just zoom out and see like 100 nodes at the same time, how they're connected, what they connect with. You can also create uh, mind maps and, and connect things in the way that you think is right. And so on. So you get more and more different, more complex ways of navigating, of walking around. So to come back to our analogy, we can, you know, swim around, we can have a boat, we can walk around, we can fly around and all these different methods, they have limitations, but they also have advantages. Um, and so very often I think people get stuck in exploring the modes of motion rather than where they move in and what they are building, They're kind of missing the, the view in front of the tech. Mm. Okay. Now, we already mentioned that the, you have quite an advanced economic knowledge management system at this point. Um, can you name some examples of when uh, this really helped you and how did this help you? Yeah, um, so <laughs> this is a thing that I also answer you with an analogy. So let's say you come to a party and you bring uh, really fresh, nice vegetables to uh, in the sense like, oh, wow, that, that's really the best cucumber I ever had. Um, but how do I know where you got this cucumber? So this is the same cucumber. Uh, you could go to get it at the supermarket. You could have gotten it from your own garden. But it, to me, it will feel much different to get it from my own garden. And the, the kind of the connection to this cucumber that I have and the value of this cucumber will be higher because I know exactly what went into it. And so with an academic knowledge management system, you kind of have a garden of your knowledge and you farm your knowledge. So you get much more knowledge than somebody who always has to go to the supermarket and Google it, so to speak. 
And that happens uh, for me quite regularly. So if I, for example, um, it's, it happens over topics. So there's a topic, let's say, in climate change. And uh, I write down that climate change causes fluctuations in the temperature. So just like that, you know, the temperature is increasing. That's what I was thinking, but it's actually more the fluctuation that is problematic. And so that, that happens six months ago. So now I'm researching how do plants grow? So the main thing that, that modulates plant growth is temperature. Um, so now, of course, I know temperature and climate change are somehow related. So maybe those notes are related. And maybe I, I navigate to the note on climate change. And there I see, aha, uh -huh, fluctuation is actually the, the main thing. So how does fluctuation affect plant growth? So that's a new question that I just created from there. And uh, it turns out a lot, yeah, because fluctuation means drought, means fire, uh, means flood, uh, and so on. So these things, they are really destructive disturbances to plant life, and they modulate plant uh, behavior, or plant dynamics in a much different way than just a slight increase in temperature, because they can destroy whole forests, you know, and then they don't regrow ever, or maybe you know, 500 years. Uh, so I get immediately a new way of thinking. But that thinking might not be so surprising because when I tell this to you, you feel like, okay, that's just a regular cucumber. You know, this is just exactly what I would think it is. But you would not have this idea at the moment. And then this is kind of a simple analogy, but uh, these analogies get more and more complex because you have hundreds, thousands of nodes that are all connected. And every time I discover also something, uh, because in my system, I would put the source to it. So the source to the paper and the paper has the PDF. So in, in about... One and a half seconds, I can have the PDF already open and read the abstract and look through the figures and so on. So that means I can very quickly probe down deep uh, into some topic in just a few seconds, realize, ah, that's probably good. That's probably not so good. While somebody else would have to uh, Google that, uh, you know, like really break out of their flow of thought and, and to come back to it, then you have to again, like read, oh, okay, I was talking about plants, I was talking about plant growth and so on. But here you don't really break the flow. So it becomes an experience of also just um, like a pleasure to it because you're, you're navigating this flow of information in this sense of, with the sense of flow. And so that, that happens all the time. And I call these things, these are like little surprises to myself. I have notes that are really so old. I don't even remember I have them, but sometimes it shows up that this note uh, links to something related. Like you can have backlinks, for example. You know mm -hmm. what, what notes link to your note. Uh, and that is something that, you know, you, you have basically no control over. Some other note you made six, nine months ago links to something that you're working on now and you discover it right now. You don't click anywhere, you discover it. Um, so, yeah, so that this would be all examples of how that works. And maybe another example is also I use it uh, like my knowledge system a lot to document my research questions, findings and the code that led to all the graphs that I mm -hmm. generate. And this code is so complex, like I just went on vacation, I remember anything after two weeks, but then I kind of <laughs> pop up this gigantic mind map, I zoom into it, and I was like, okay, this was the file that I needed, this is the data, and then you, know, you, you get into it, and you just feel you're much quicker at doing things, you're much quicker at finding information, and people will also comment on that, so my supervisor mm -hmm. like, oh my god, this is so organized, I've never seen anything <laughs> like that, so it's no rocket science, you know, just, just make notes mm -hmm. and think them. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested because now you've clearly made the case for why academic knowledge management is important, but also beneficial to the person using it. But have you come across some common pitfalls or things people really struggle with when trying to set up their own academic knowledge management system? Yeah, capitalism. 
So um, and materialism that results from that. <laughs> what, what, what people always think is they, they have a thing and that thing is, is what they own. Um, so very often you look at a template and it looks like you own that template that does something for you. But the thing is, it really doesn't do anything for you. It's, it's like a different view on the world. Um, hmm. what, what really does something for you is the connections in your vault. Those connections are immaterial, right? They, they are not, you don't own your friends. Like it's the relationship to your friend that really counts. Hmm. Uh, and that's the same here. That's the relation between the notes that counts. And you can only build that over time. So most people, they will try to do a few notes and they will, you know, end up with like a pile again, because you don't necessarily know how, and you don't take the time to experiment and, uh, yeah, nothing happens. It's like just, you know, it's, it's like when you're in a garden, you buy the fanciest soil, the fanciest fertilizer, put it there, but the plants won't grow faster. You know, they will grow stronger maybe eventually, but you still have to put the effort and time to actually grow your, your content, your information. Only then will you start being like, oh my God, this is awesome. You know, I really get a lot out of working with my uh, system here. So most people won't stick long enough. That's what I find. Most people also don't, don't, know, don't know necessarily how. So digital note-taking tools are a little bit, um, I don't know, people say you can, you can remember things better when you write them down, so, which is probably true. But on the long run, I can remember things better if I have them in this digital note. And it takes mm -hmm. me longer to create the digital note as compared to just a scribble. So that's a little bit of a um, trade-off. So you have to kind of go through this valley first, and then, then you will get uh, to the peak. And that, that will take time. And then when you're in the valley, when you're struggling, you're like, oh my God, it will be so nice. That template will probably solve it. That tool will probably solve it. And this is uh, the temptation. So that temptation mm -hmm. is what leads you astray because then you start a new system, a new tool. All your mm -hmm. connections are again gone. It's the equivalent of, of moving to a new city because you say, my, my friends suck. I don't have friends. I'll move to a new city. Well, you have less friends initially and less connections. You just start mm -hmm. to build them from scratch again. That's, that's mm -hmm. what I think is the biggest thing, really. It's not so much of mm -hmm. a technical thing it's just you know make links 90 percent of what you need is just make excessive links to your content and think about what relates to what you know everything else is uh, on top you'll get you farther but the links are the absolute bread and butter that's your legs mm -hmm. if you want to locomote mm -hmm. okay well we'll definitely get back to uh, what tools are useful <laughs> um but an important thing about academia is also the ability to collaborate and share knowledge with others, especially when writing a manuscript, for example. Do you think there is also a place for this in academic, in academic knowledge system? Or is that something you should keep separate? I think that it's something that you actually would keep separate because uh, it's, it's a personal thing, right? So if you have your desk, you're sitting at your desk, um, you put the things that you use at your desk the way you use them. Maybe you write with your right hand, maybe I write with my left hand. So, you know, you'll put the pen on the right, I'll put it on the left. So if we start sharing this table, this pen will be all over the place. It will be kind of messy. And I feel like with, with knowledge management system, there's not a pen, there's like a billion pens that you put in, in a very precise way. To start to sharing it um, would only make sense if you make it a read-only. So it's your knowledge uh, management or your, your knowledge vault and you share it with somebody and they can just look things up. So I think that that has a space there. But if you start collaborating, let's say, on a manuscript, then there are better tools for that. Yeah? Like even mm -hmm. Google Docs and you know, I had like all this commenting. Um, like I tried this in Notion to do that, but we somehow always reverted back to let's just use Word and uh, send it around. Like the, the technology, just how much edits and how these edits are presented. Uh, 
tracking changes, it just works better. And uh, like a tool that is made as a word processor and not as a note taking tool. But yeah, it's, I think it's it's possible for simple things, but I personally think it's more should be more read only because it's really my personal academic thing. So I don't want to share it. It's very very intimate, hmm. it's extension yeah. of my own mind of my brain. So if I like, you probably see colors differently. You probably hear voices differently than I do, but I couldn't tell, you know. But if <laughs> I were in your head, it would probably all be really weird. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> No, yeah. fair. Um, yeah, so I think, how should I put this? Uh, so I think you've made the case really well for academic knowledge management and why it's important and stuff like that. But how can you tell if your academic knowledge management system is serving you well, working well? Do you need to optimize it still? Are there any sort of benchmarks or indicators for that that you can use as someone who's still maybe optimizing your own or trying to uh, set up your uh, your academic knowledge management system that you can see like, okay, at least I'm on the right path, but it can be better or something like that? So, so Jaren, do you ride a bike? Uh, funny story, actually, right now, no. <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, yeah, I used to. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, so, so that's the, the question uh, I would ask you. Like, how do you know that you're good at bike riding? So uh, by yeah. riding the bike, I guess. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. Sorry if you know, it's really hard to tell. It's a subtle thing. So maybe, you know, you go a little bit faster. Maybe you don't fall as often. Maybe you're more daring. I don't know. Maybe you can ride without your hands. Uh, so that's the same thing. Like when does note taking, when, when, when are you really done with note taking? It's the same as uh, when, when are you good at bike riding? I don't think that's mm -hmm. something that you will, uh, something like a checkbox. Um, but for me personally, it's the ease of use. It's the mm -hmm. pleasure that I get out of the thing. And it's the same with, with cooking. Like when are you good at cooking? Sure, it has to taste good, but a lot of things taste actually good. But like you have to enjoy the cooking process. You have to really mm -hmm. love it. And uh, if you get to this point, then you know that it's working for you because then the ideas of how to improve your system, they will come automatically. Because your, your thing, once you start enjoying it, it becomes alive. And once it becomes alive, it starts evolving and it gets its own uh, ideas of how it wants to move uh, according to your needs and desires. Mm -hmm. um, so this is where you feel like you, you really arrive because the experimenting never really stops. You know, like you, you still begin initially experimenting a lot you're really hot, you know, you, you flow a lot, you move a lot, but then you, you start to cool down and to settle uh, in this optimum, this local optimum of your nodes. And this is the system that you use. But every once in a while, you'll say, let's just, let's just do it afresh. Let's try something new. And so in my world, I have three, five, ten different systems living side by side, just like in a real, uh, real world. You have some sort of animal that is a fossil, essentially. From the dinosaur age but you also have something that only very recently evolved and and all of them coexist together and that's also totally fine so your your mm -hmm. system will be really more of a dynamic network of interacting agents which are the, the notes and strategies that you use and it will be much much more alive than than you would think of it so it's not a database it's actually a living organism just like a forest is more than the part of, of the different trees uh, it's it's an ecosystem that does much much more than just CO2 to sugar conversion. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, we're getting back to the tools, actually. <clears throat> so you need basically a, um, a tool that is capable, capable of making all these connections and keeping it organized and lets you search through it. 
Um, which ones do you recommend for making an academic knowledge man management system? Yeah, that's that's a bit of a trick question because I always tell people that uh, a good carpenter doesn't blame her tools or their tools <laughs> um, <clears throat> because it's really it really doesn't matter. You can use pretty much anything. So I use Obsidian. You know, it's a free software. It's private. It's local. It's super fast. It's mature enough to have enough plugins to pretty much do whatever I want. But it requires sometimes a little bit of you know, hacking. So not hacking, but it's it feels a little bit like you're working on Linux instead of a Mac. Uh, and and that's that's fine for me because I'm fine with technology. I have a computer science background. I'm not afraid of that, but I can see how that can be intimidating and can also be really impeding your process. So other people will say, no, Notion is actually better. It's, it's prettier. It's easier to share and so on. I, on the other hand, think Notion is far too slow for me. So whenever I type something mm -hmm. and I want to find something, it, it takes me three, four seconds instead of one second. That really annoys me. So I don't know. Like, <laughs> maybe it's just me. Um, but that's so pick pick one tool that you really like and, you know, experiment. I had Evernote. I had Notion. I had um, Obsidian. Uh, so I did a little bit of experimentation. And uh, the other thing is in terms of reference management. So people say, okay, you can use Zotero, Mendeley, and so on. I use neither. So I say as much as you can use one tool for everything. And you can actually build your own reference manager in Obsidian by just putting your papers in, but you have your summary there, you have all your links to the paper, you have your PDF, everything is in there. While Zotero is only for papers, and then you have something only for notes, and then you have something only for your uh, calendar entries. So it becomes difficult to connect those things. And we said that it's about connection, right? So the more connections you have, the more knowledge you actually have. It's not so much the, the items, but it's the connections between them. So use a single software and try to really stick to it and do not jump to any shiny templates because there are always many. Uh, unless you're starting out fresh, then you can you can pick the shiniest template because it's uh, really up to you where, where you start. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but these these are my main tools, honestly, Obsidian. And if you want to, to synthesize big big amounts of knowledge, then use some sort of graphical visualization things. So I use um, Diagrams.net or Grow.io. This is an open source simple software that. This allows you to draw boxes of different colors and connect them with arrows, but you can you can make the boxes and arrows in many, many different ways. So it's very versatile. And uh, that means that I can build these gigantic uh, networks of, of different things. So if you think about molecular biology, uh, you know, you have processes, you have um, non-coding RNA floating around, you have proteins floating around, and all of these things affect somehow. And... This is the whole you know, idea of proteomics is to understand how they interact. But now, how do you actually put it as, as a knowledge graph? And you can do that by creating different nodes and saying, okay, this is protein so-and-so, and under this condition, it connects to this and this. And then, interesting thing is that whenever you have a connection, protein X does function B, you actually write the name of the paper on the connection because that's what it is, you know, the paper, the new knowledge contribution is the connection between the two. It's not that the proteins, everybody knows it's there. Um, so yes, yeah, so some sort of visualization software where you can annotate those uh, links is really useful. And yeah, just a very well-connected uh, vault of knowledge. Mm. But you would say that for somebody starting out, the minimum you need is a database and tags to each node. I would say the minimum is just something that can link things together. The tag is, is, is kind of a, a meta link, if you want, because the tag is a note in itself and then it links to two notes. If you, yeah. if you, so it's, it's kind of adds more complexity. 
Um, you That's know, why I, I, hmm? I was mostly, we, we work with Notion and I was mostly wondering what you use in Notion then to link them together because I know about the tags, but can you actually link them? Yeah, you can backlink. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. you can. You can links, links and backlinks. So uh, hmm. when you link from A to B and then you look at the note for B, you see the backlink to A. So that backlink kind of happens automatically. And so whenever you, you get to the note of B, like there's nothing mentioning A, but if you look at the backlink, suddenly you see, hey, A, this is a concept that links to it. And that is where those surprises happen. Because now you, you get a free yeah. link, you get a free connection that you didn't think of. Yeah, so, so links, in my understanding, are the best way. Because what you can do is, instead of creating a tag, create a note. Yeah, and you can name the note exactly like the tag. And then inside this node, start linking all the different related concepts uh, that, that kind of would be tagged by that. And now you can add a little bit, not only the links, but you actually add a little bit of context. So A does B under this and this conditions and this and this person found it out. So essentially you're creating an outline with a lot of links. That outline, uh, even though it replaces your tag, it very quickly becomes something that you can just plug and play into your publication because it becomes mini literature review on all the notes that you would normally tag with that thing but if you just tag them then well, you have you know 20 notes what do you do with them they, they, they yeah. don't have context but with a text and a note it's better that's why i say links are actually the, the essential they're really the, the foot soldiers of this whole army hmm. yeah. okay um yeah so i'm actually interested in this because so you mentioned you've used notion before and then you switched to uh, obsidian so how important is it actually to sort of pick and sort of hopefully have the right uh, tool that you can get started with already and try to optimize that as you go along? Like, as you mentioned, Obsidian has a lot of plugins that you can sort of uh, sort of hack it to make it do what you want. Um, but so how important is it to um, pick the right tool at the beginning and know when maybe this tool isn't doing it for you, it doesn't have the right speed or the right features that you actually would want or need eventually? but as you mentioned, uh, the longer you spend with a tool, the more links you start making, the harder it can actually be to switch because you're going to maybe lose all that information that you worked so hard on. Mm. Uh, yeah, so analogy answer. Uh, let's <laughs> say you are a, a Chinese chef. So you're really used to cook with those gigantic cleavers and chopsticks mm -hmm. and wok, you know, and then actually the food turns out really, really good. You know, I can't complain. Or let's say you're a French chef, which has the knife is a little bit more pointy at the end and you use knife and fork and uh, spoons and you, you don't have a wok. So what, which one is better, right? Which one should you pick at the beginning to cook food? Because you're interested in cooking food and making notes and so on. The thing is, I don't think it really matters so much as, as people mm -hmm. think it would because again this is focusing on the material but it matters in the sense that you will grow out maybe of a tool and grow into mm -hmm. something else so luckily there are um there are no things uh, or migration plugins so obsidian mm -hmm. just recently introduced like you can import from notion you can import from evernote and so on so you can bring your knowledge um i don't know if it's easy to do the the other way around usually mm -hmm. those big commercial tools, they, they don't care to import the little open source tools, but the other way around works well. So you could start with something bigger, uh, like mm. Notion or Evernote, and then make the switch to something more, more niche and uh, nuanced and harder to use, uh, so to speak, like Obsidian or Logseek or Rome Research, God forbid. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> 
Yeah, that, that would be uh, my understanding, but um, it, it really does not matter so much. You will, you'll be mm -hmm. fine with all the tools. You'll be fine with um, whatever you choose to. It's more your skill and you know, your, your perseverance in using that tool. And just mm -hmm. like the Chinese chef gets the Michelin star and the um, French chef gets the Michelin star, both, both of them get their paper out. Mm. Oh, nice. Yeah, it, uh, I, the reason I ask is also because like um, I started using Notion and ever, I never used any sort of note-taking app before. And ever since starting using Notion and really doubling down over a couple of years and making databases and stuff like that and trying to link stuff together, I saw some of the benefits indeed. And But now it's also, I feel like, trying to switch out of Notion or try anything else is hard just because I all those connections, all that... Uh, Difficult, more this maybe Notion specific features would not yeah. migrate along with the notes as well. Oh. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That, what, what I do is I usually have some sort of small personal side projects, and then I just experiment with some new note taking app to to get a feel for it. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that's that's absolutely the case. Even now, if I use Notion, I feel like oh, that's like so frustrating mm -hmm. uh, to to have like all these right click things and you know, just just want to type mm -hmm. mark down. Yeah, yeah, because I can imagine because I think with Evernote, it's not, it hasn't really gotten a lot of updates in the last couple of years or something like that. Um, so if you if you got started in the early days with Evernote, then it probably hasn't like kept up with stuff like Notion or Obsidian or stuff like that. So it's sort of when should you consider then like okay maybe time to leave Evernote or something like that. Mm. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think whenever you, you can't really do something that is really important, you know, mm -hmm. when, when you notice that every time you need to switch to a different app to accomplish something, for example, PDF annotations. So how do you do PDF annotations? You can put the PDF there, but you can't really make annotations in it. When Obsidian, you, you could with a plugin, you could make annotations. And the cool thing is you can even link to these annotations. So when I have a link, I say this paper says it, I hover over something and a little box comes out with the exact quote of that PDF. And with the newest feature, you can even, you know, the whole PDF pops out and it tells you everything in context. So that's, that's pretty cool. You know, is that important? But I don't think there is a right time um, to, to really switch. The right time is always now if you're lacking something and it is never if you don't lack something. Um, so yeah, for me, you know, I did for molecular biology, I started to do one thing and then and it just got too messy. I was, it was kind of very slow. It was slowing me down. Then I said, okay, well, I switched to Obsidian. It was really, really good, uh, but it was still very messy. And then with Ecology, I kind of stick, stuck to Obsidian, but restarted everything from scratch. And I did it two or three more times until I got it right. So just, yeah. I think, again, I like think, think of a garden. You know, when is the right time to harvest? When is the right time to switch crops? Like, these are not questions that you can just answer. These are questions you have to feel in your environment. And just by using them, you will know your feeling will know, you know, you'll learn enough things so that your heart will tell you, okay, this is the right thing to do for your guts, whatever you think with. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. We are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor, Jenny AI. Not only does Jenny make our podcast possible, it also makes our life as scientists so much easier. Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in our AI tools. Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of. 
Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph. Completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers. Just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list. And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny. And if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount. Um, speaking of the future, <laughs> where or how do you see academic knowledge uh, fitting in with all the new AI tools that are coming out? And are they compatible? Would they work together? Yeah, I was actually experimenting. So just <clears throat> last week, uh, this, this custom GPTs came out. And that was, this was a great thing because now you can upload your knowledge and have the AI work on that knowledge. And there were plugins for Obsidian that would use a little bit of your notes to use AI on them uh, and have, you know, the AI had this as a background information, but it didn't really work so well. So I was just, mm -hmm. ah, okay, I, I don't care about this. But now with the custom GPTs, it actually works pretty good. And also the context window is so long. So what I did, I exported all my notes on a certain topic and put it uh, as, as, a, as a background information and then said, okay, well, this is what I want you to do. And uh, I, want to, I want you to analyze all my research questions that are in the notes. And I want you to kind of critically contrast this paper that I'm giving you with this research question. So will, will this paper help me answer A, B, C, D, or E? And then, you know, give me answers why. And so I created this bot where you just drag and drop a PDF and it tells you exactly uh, whether or not this paper is more or less relevant for your, mm -hmm. um, for your things. And this is pretty cool. Yeah. Another use case that I found is, um, that I could just take all the abstracts of all the papers that I've read in Zotero, just hit export if you're using Zotero and uh, upload it and then have the AI basically search for papers. Very often you're like, Oh, this paper, I know it dealt with uh, some plants in Australia. And uh, I think I think it was uh, maybe also something about animals. So you can ask that in this way, and we'll find the paper because it knows the abstract, all the abstracts. Um, yeah, so that is still a little bit inconvenient because you have to upload it. It doesn't sync all the time. But the step to syncing your notes all the time and having the AI suggest ideas is really not that far off. So now you have um, little plugins that will tell you. Okay, this note is linked to A, B, C, and D, but it could also be linked to X, Y, and Z. And so they analyze your vault and they suggest links that, that are missing. So they suggest essentially pieces of information that might make sense or new questions that you haven't asked. So all of that, I think, will really, really um, be incredibly important. And it will be especially for people that use digital notes. They won't be able to do this easily on paper. They can scan and stuff but um, digital notes and AI, they will go greatly together because you have vast amounts of text with very complicated, very linked connections. And then you get into, uh, yeah, like the, the, the vastness, like the power of AI to be able to analyze all of that at once 
what it can't do at the moment is to understand the importance of links. So it, it doesn't, it just, you know, it's just text, but if we could somehow program this importance of links into it so that how close concepts are related together, not only through text and understanding, but actually through links, then I think it will become really an absolute game changer for academics. Mm -hmm. All you need to do is then take notes and mm -hmm. uh, the ideas happen more or less by, by the AI and you, you just gauge those ideas. Are they good? Are they bad? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Maybe to continue on sort of the AI tools and academic knowledge management uh, uh, yeah, direction a little bit. Where do you see academic knowledge management actually uh, in the future evolving with these AI tools maybe? Or what innovati innovations or trends have caught your eye recently? You mentioned custom GPTs coming out just last week. Uh, is there anything else you're like hoping for, like a feature that maybe no other thing has yet that you would really want to see? Yeah, I think that it will be more than just knowledge management. It will manage more things. So what I do now, for example, I also manage some of my data. So I can throw in files in there and I can link those files also around. So I don't have just folders. Now I have it all part of my um, knowledge system linked in many different ways. Um, that, that could be one thing that you could integrate code and data and, and everything that you're using into this. Then obviously... Things like calendars, meetings, uh, that also you can do to an extent now, but it's not very convenient, not very smooth. So once mm -hmm. it gets smoother, it becomes really like a secretary type of thing that does knows things that you don't even know, you don't even remember, and just, just keeps resurfacing ideas. But AI will definitely be one of the biggest things if that gets integrated with the notes in, in a really smooth way. This will be a major game changer. And I'm not speaking mm -hmm. of um, like generative AI that can create text or summarize text, like all of that is more or less a gimmick. Uh, or uh, maybe, you know, maybe gimmick is a bit overstated, but it's not as impactful to your daily life as you would want it to be. Uh, mm -hmm. While making sense in the synthesis idea, that is something that would be really a game changer. So I think that's, um, you know, integrating also things like videos or voice messages would be really cool if I could just, you know, have a little thing, speak a voice message, which immediately be integrated into my vault in the exact same place. What I do now is I, when I go on a run, I have my phone, you know, maybe I type in a small Google note or Google keep note, and then I come back and basically have to manually transfer these ideas into my vault. So that could be much, much easier. Yeah. Just this, in terms of smoothness, things will mm -hmm. evolve. Yeah. Just like the internet was very niche, very ugly, clunky, slow. <laughs> And now it's everywhere and you can do anything with it. So that's a little bit the ideas that I think will happen. Okay. Sounds awesome. <laughs> um, last question already. Do you have any last advice for anybody who is listening to this episode and is thinking, I also want my own academic management management system? Um, well, I like analogies, so I say, remember that you are the gardener of your knowledge. You have to place it in this right soil and you have to tend for it and care for it and make sure that the environment is conducive to, to do it. So if you see it this way, then your notes will really start flourishing for you because they do most of the work. You just get obstacles out of the way. So always think of this as a gardener. And the main attribute that the gardener has is patience. So if, you, if you're a patient, then uh, things will happen. Um, and they will happen by themselves. So don't uh, really despair and just do it and don't ask the question why all the time and don't 
spread about that it's difficult, just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Uh, you know, rinse off, rinse on, rinse off from Karate Kid. And then eventually you'll uh, become the, the Kung Fu master. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Well, thank you, Ilya, for coming on the podcast today and talking with us about academic knowledge management. Um, we really, we really loved having you on and discussing this topic. If people would like to find you, get in touch with you, learn more about academic knowledge management, where can they do so? Uh, my website is called the effortlessacademic.com. So just mm -hmm. visit the website effortlessacademic.com <clears throat> and uh, you'll find my Twitter links, my blog links. Um, uh, you'll find a free seven day course on note taking where I basically mm -hmm. introduce you how to start with Obsidian. Um, yeah, and then of course I have a, a bunch of courses that are more in depth and uh, run webinars a couple times a year. So whatever time permits. So yeah, effortlessacademic.com. Okay. Nice. For our listeners, if you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, you can reach out to us via our website, thestrugglingscientist.com. You can also check out our website to sign up for the awesome Journal of the Struggling Scientist, also known as our newsletter. Uh, and if you have enjoyed this episode, then leave us a rating on your favorite podcast listening platform as it helps us grow and reach more struggling scientists. You can also follow us on social media. Jadon, which ones are those again? X, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and also YouTube. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope to see you again next time. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.